this election, once again, a majority of white women voted for Trump. Why have white women throughout history aligned their politics not with women of color, but with white men? And why does white women's support of Trump still come as a shock to so many? On White Picket Fence, a new podcast on Wonder Media Network, host Julie Kohler seeks to understand how white womanhood in America has been constructed, how it's evolved, and how it's affected our politics. It's a podcast about how white women have fallen short and what it takes to step up. Hello, and welcome to Brave Not Perfect, the show where we break away from the cult of perfection to live bolder, braver, and happier lives. This week, we're talking about what the internet would look like if it weren't for the vital contributions of women. That's because we just finished up Computer Science Education Week. It's an important time every year when those of us who are passionate about computer science education focus on raising awareness and access. We wanted to take it a step further though and focus on inspiring girls. Because at Girls Who Code, we know that access just isn't enough. We need to reach out to girls and meet them where they are. We need them to see that their participation in computer science isn't just welcome, but it's necessary. So we broke the internet and showed them what it would look like if it weren't for the contributions of women. Joining me today to talk about all of this is the incredible Nicole Small. She's a co-founder of the If Then Initiative, which partnered with Girls Who Code on our Missing Code campaign for Computer Science Education Week. The If Then Initiative is part of Lida Hill Philanthropies, where Nicole is CEO. I am so thrilled to partner with her on the important work she's leading and to share our conversation with you right now. So, hey, Nicole, welcome to Brave Not Perfect. I am so excited to be talking to you today. So I want to talk about the Missing Code campaign that Girls Who Code did last week with If Then Initiative of Lida Hill Philanthropy. And we wanted to use this moment to show the world how broken the internet would be if women were absent and women coders were absent for Computer Science Education Week. So we basically broke the internet to show people what it would look like without us. So for all the listeners out there, if you didn't catch it, go watch it. Uh, But it was pretty grim and it was pretty glitchy. Imagine this, like all the favorite sites that you go on, uh, Netflix, Google, TikTok, you name it, the products that you use every day. Imagine them falling apart right before your eyes. And so, Nicole, I wanted to start by asking you, why did you want to participate with us in this initiative? And why is celebrating the unseen contributions of women who code so important to you? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me today. It's really exciting to be joining you and visiting with you about one of sort of our most favorite subjects. So at Light of Hill Philanthropies, uh, we believe science is the answer. And science for us includes you know, life sciences. It includes tech, computer engineering, and We also have a really strong focus on gender and women and trying to raise girls up. As we know, particularly, you know, over this past year with the pandemic, women are, you know, being set 
back significantly. And so it's really ever more important that we raise our girls up and show them what the opportunities are. And we believe, you know, as you do, that if you can see it, you can be it, right? And we know that little girls everywhere, if they don't see someone that looks like them doing something they're excited about, they have a harder time, you know, creating a pathway in their head and in their schooling to get where they want to get. And you know, Girls Who Code and the work you all do is so transformative for girls. It's transformative for our country and it's transformative for the industry. And so when we had the opportunity to visit with you and your team to think about this missing code campaign, I mean, what a great way, right? We call it the deletion principle in science, which is what would happen if you deleted a gene, right? And when you're taking women out of the internet and girls, right, all of a sudden there's no better way to see that you need them when all of our favorite sites go down or they look like you can't click a link, right? So, you know, for everyone who doesn't understand the role of women in tech and women in science and coding, I think there's no better way than to take away the things that people love, right? There's nothing worse than trying to watch your favorite Netflix show and well, the link is broken to the show you want to watch or you want to hop on Sephora's site or look at something on Teen Vogue or listen to something on Spotify and it's broken, super frustrating, then all of a sudden, you might care that the person who was supposed to do that job was a woman and you realize what happens when they go away. So it was just such a wildly creative project that you all came up with as an opportunity to show the world what happens when women aren't there. Right. It's so powerful and so simple. So how did the If Then initiative come about and why is it so important to you? And like, tell me a bit about the philosophy and approach of the organization. Sure. So as I mentioned, we really like to invest in science and scientists. And so over the years, we've just had a great honor and privilege to invest in some incredible scientists. And we've met some incredible women scientists along the way. And we, as we invested in them, we kept hearing similar stories that they didn't necessarily have the role models they would have wanted. You know, one of the things we like to ask people is like, what inspired you to do what you do, right? I mean, when at Lighthouse Philanthropies, as we invest in some of these game-changing advances in nature and science, and you look at the leaders who are making those changes, it's always fun to know what got them started. Like, who inspired you? Why do you do what you do? What, where's your passion come from? And we kept hearing from most of the women scientists just that same story, right? Didn't have as many women mentors as I wanted. I didn't actually have the role models I needed. I still am finding it challenging. You know, I've got a family, plus I've got to go out in the field and do climate research. And I don't feel like I necessarily have um, a group of women that I can lean on that look like me and sound like me and do similar things. And so we kept thinking, gosh, we're hearing this over and over. This is a problem. It's not that people aren't unaware of it, right? People are aware. It's just what we've been doing to solve it, we believe we could do more. And so we spent a lot of time researching the, you know, role modeling and mentoring. And obviously there's all sorts of data out there that shows if, you know, girls or boys have a mentor and a role model. Again, as I mentioned, you you can see a path to somewhere. So we began investigating the ways we might use Lida's capital to make change. And we came up with the If Then initiative, right? If she can see it, then she can be it. If you are a girl in STEM, then she can change the world. And so we wanted to look for ways that we could put images and role models in front of girls everywhere so they could begin to understand. And we want to meet them where they were and do it in the places that they spend time, right? I don't know how many young girls you might uh, have 
in your life every day. I know girls who code, you guys have hundreds of thousands of them. So, you know, uh, if you're, you know, involved in your group or if you're listening today that, you know, my girls spend a lot of time on TikTok and online and YouTube. And so we wanted to use, you know, modern media to meet these girls where they were and tell these stories. So, and partnering with people like you all has been great. Yeah, it's so powerful. You know, this idea of like, you cannot be what you cannot see. I mean, over the past couple of years, we've been doing these women in tech spotlights. And it's like literally a poster of Ada Lovelace and all the amazing things that she does or Katherine Johnson and putting them in classrooms all across the country. So that when girls are in their science class or their math class or their computer science class, they can look up and like, oh, like, I can do this too. And so that idea of if then is just so, so powerful. How did that show up for you personally, Nicole, in your life? Like, why are you so passionate about this? Did you have role models? First of all, really quick. I mean, I think exactly what you're talking about is is what we've done with If Then and why we're so excited that we've created something called the If Then Collection, which is a collection of our 125 women ambassadors and it's videos and it's going to be posters and it's stories that we're telling about them that anyone can access anywhere. It's museum walls that are changing. So exactly to your point, this idea that we should be surrounding our girls and our kids, by the way, because boys need to see girls in these roles too. It's just as important. So I love what you're saying about the posters because that is what the If Then collection is. It's the largest free resource of women in STEM images anywhere in the world. It's never been done before. And so we are trying to build on the work you guys have done as well to get those things into classrooms and into, you know, girls' computers and all the places. So thank you for mentioning that because I think that's such an important part of the work that we're doing as well. Um, You know, for me personally, I grew up in a household where my father was a physician and I had the good fortune to grow up around medicine and life sciences and my visit your dad at Workday was always at a medical school where there were active scientists. And so, you know, a soccer coach of mine eventually won a Nobel Prize. And, you know, when I was growing up, that was normal for me um, to be surrounded by science. And as I went to college, I realized, gosh, that's not so normal. Um, And when I went to actually declare my major, I said, I would like to do, I won't tell you how many years ago this was, but I said, I'd like to do business and science because I love science, but I don't know that I want to be a physician, but I'd love to talk about it and be involved. And this was so many years ago, they said, well, that's not really a major. You can't do that. And I was like, okay, so oh well, right? And went on and got a different degree. Um, But as I left college and kind of went out in the world and had an opportunity to get engaged through my job at McKinsey with the local Natural History Museum, I began to see the power of museums and images and the opportunity to teach kids. And when I realized, gosh, I had this unique opportunity that I think everybody should have, right? If you don't see it, you don't learn about it. And so... um, the opportunity to be part of an institution and organization that could focus on storytelling. I realized the power of telling stories and I realized that through the museum and we've carried that into the If Then initiative. And again, all the work that you're doing at Girls Who Code, right? It's about teaching girls skill sets and telling them stories about what they can and you know potentially could do, right? It's, it's all about giving them hope to change the world and teaching them the skills that they need to do it. So that was kind of my personal journey to why I'm so passionate. I think everybody should have those opportunities. So you grew up kind of around all these amazing scientists, and you're making this a meaningful change in the world. And we're talking today for my show, Brave Not Perfect, which is all about bravery and breaking away from perfection. How did you learn how to be brave? 
You know, that's a, such an interesting question. And I, by the way, I'm just such a huge fan of this podcast and the work that you're doing because I think brave is such an important word to teach our girls. Things are not always easy, right? And, you know, we have these conversations in our house around it's not what happens, it's how you handle it because you know, you fail, bad things happen, bad things happen to good people. And, you know, how you handle things, right, is is exactly your comment around bravery. Um, I think you learn to be brave when you're young, when you confront difficulties. I think sports actually is a great way to learn those things because every time uh, you step on a field to play a soccer game and you're playing somebody bigger, stronger, faster. You have to learn to, you know, overcome challenges and be brave and go out and play even when you know you might lose. So I think sports is a great way for kids to learn that. Personally, I learned to be a little bit more brave when I was uh, in my late 30s. I was diagnosed very unexpectedly with breast cancer, a fairly late stage. And, you know, those are words you never want to hear. You have cancer and you go from kind of, you know, meeting to meeting to meeting to your life just changed dramatically in about 30 seconds. And you, to your point, you kind of, you have to wake up the next day and say, well, I'm going to have to learn to be brave. I didn't, it's not what happens. It's how you handle it, right? Sometimes things don't go your way. And I think, you know, for kids, Gosh, particularly this year, but any time, right? Most of our children in our country are growing up in challenging circumstances. And so I think it's why I admire the work you do and the work of Girls Who Code and, you know, all the work we're doing with If Then is to, you know, give kids hope because I think when you have hope, you can be brave, right? You have to believe you can get to the other side of something. And I think, you know, giving girls this visibility into what they can do gives them the power to be brave, right? Because they know they can go do something. Right. And it's just a powerful point. I said this year in particular, a lot of people built resiliency, you know, because there's a lot of suffering and pain happening. And when you probably went through that experience when you were 30s, it made you stronger than you ever thought you'd be. And thank you so much for sharing that because it's interesting how like pain and suffering can really build your character and also build your compassion. You know, you're dedicating your life, right, to like lifting other young girls up and inspiring them to make change. So what are some of the other efforts, if and then, is involved with in the world of STEM that you're hoping to change and affect culture change? Well, I think that, you know, one of the places that we're just having the most fun right now is on a lot of our media productions. So we've got a Saturday morning TV show um, called Mission Unstoppable, which, by the way, you can also um, stream online. We've got a Snapchat channel. We've got Instagram. So we're using the content that we've developed for the TV show because, you know, for all of you listening that have little girls in your life, if you're in my house, they said to me, nobody watches Saturday morning TV. Nobody watches TV. Like, what's a TV, right? So the idea is we created content about these amazing women and we're telling these stories in really unique ways. And so that's you know what we're really excited about right now is meeting these girls where they are on the channels where they consume media. Um, we ran a TikTok campaign, STEM Life, just last month, and we were trending on TikTok for you know several weeks. Um, I think I saw that. Yeah, I did. It was very cool. No, we were super fired up and by the way, it raised me up a notch in my own house. I was like, guess what, girls? We're, look at your TikTok. Can y'all show me your TikTok channel? Look, that's, that's If Then and Mission Unstoppable started STEM Life. And we had billions of views, right? And so I think 
that's the kind of work that we're so fired up about right now. Because, you know, for every little girl that didn't really either know what STEM meant or that didn't think it was cool, right? When you see it trending on TikTok, all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait a minute. And people are so incredibly creative right now. And it is so much fun to harness the creativity of everyone, right? So what I think is so amazing about the world we live in right now is that, you know, it used to be that, you know, we had to create all the content and tell all the stories and we're doing a lot of that. But with things like TikTok and Snapchat, and we're able to harness the creativity of other people, right? And in a world where you've got this democratization of information and access to it, and you've got kids self-creating content, right? And it's all about what the missing code was about, right? Like girls are creating content, right? And they know how to do that on the web, whether they're using something like TikTok or whether they're creating their own websites or their stories on Instagram, right? So we're really fired up about some of that work right now um, where we're able to do that. We've got a YouTube show with Goldie Blocks for younger girls, which has gone really well. And, you know, we've got this whole set of partners. So obviously, people like you all at Girls Who Code, U.S. Women's Soccer. I mean, talk about last year, you know, the women's soccer team, obviously they're amazing to be able to work with them to tell stories about, you know, Alex Morgan would not be on the field if it weren't for, you know, the medical team, the nutritionists, the data scientists, right? There's people are using computers and coding and science everywhere. And that's, again, back to the Missing Code campaign. For everybody who thinks it's not for them, Right. I mean, my 15 year old last night came in with her kind of end of year Spotify list. Right. And was like, listen. And I said, you know, one of our ambassadors helps do those lists. That is a job. If you, somebody sits around and codes, right. To figure out how to tell you what your most listened to song of the year was like, you could work for Spotify. That's a really cool job. But they have to come take your programs first. Absolutely. It is true. I mean, I think the amount of time that our kids are now, unfortunately, sitting in front of computers, it's potentially made them more curious, right? How is that created? How is that done? I mean, I saw my five-year-old kind of tinkering on scratch. And like, I didn't even have to push you to do this. Like, you did this on your own. And I think it's a huge opportunity. Speaking of boys, do you ever get pushback? Um, I don't think there's a speech I've ever really given where someone invariably, and it's sometimes a mom, will raise her hand and she'll say, well, what about the boys? How do you navigate that and respond to that? Well, so I think that's such a great question. And we actually try to make a huge point, actually, that while if then is focused on raising girls up, if we raise girls up, right, we raise everybody up. And so our view is that we've got, whether it's climate or COVID or cancer, we've got huge challenges in our world right now. And we need everybody to have a seat at the table. We need boys. We need girls. We need all ages. We need all ethnicities. We are not going to solve the world's hardest problems if we don't give everybody a seat at the table because we need to have a view of these problems through everybody's experiences. And so we always say we're not anti-boy. We're pro-world. We're pro-girl, right? We're trying to give everybody an opportunity. And so this is a world where, as I mentioned earlier, boys need to see little girls in these roles as well, right? So, I mean, the work is for everyone. And, you know, interestingly, our mission unstoppable, right? which is our show with Miranda Cosgrove, we don't say it's for girls, right? It's a Saturday morning TV show. It's on for anyone and it's online. And when you look at the STEM Life TikTok campaign, that was boys, girls, it was for everybody. And so, you know, these opportunities need to be offered to everyone and the world needs to 
see everybody at the table. And so we just have found, as you all have, that we know the numbers. The data shows that little girls and women have tended to have, you know, I would like to say fallen behind, but they, you know, started behind and we need to continue to raise them up. So we do have these opportunities for everyone to sit at the table. So, you know, I think it's a fair question and I think it's important that we take everybody into account as we try to solve these problems. I don't think anyone cares right now for COVID if it was solved by a man or a woman highly experienced, young, it doesn't really matter, right? We just want the best minds on the problem to solve it. And so we just need to make sure they're all there. No, I think your point is so important because it's not about exclusion, it's about inclusion. And that's why culture change is so important because there are so many messages out there for girls that are saying to them, this isn't for you. And like you said, the problems that we face today, right, whether it's climate, COVID, cancer, they're too complex not to have everybody sitting around the table. So one of the questions that I wanted to end with is, do you have any tips that we can learn from you? It's one of my favorite questions to ask guests about how you let go of perfection or tap into bravery, especially right now when times are so hard. Gosh, it's such a great question. You know, I think that things happen, right? And you just have to learn to roll with it. Watching people deal with adversity right now everywhere, every day, right? Whether it's on a macro global scale, as we watch this pandemic sort of ravage our global economies down to your neighbor who might've lost their job or is having to go to the food bank for the first time, right? I mean, I think you have to, you know, have empathy. I think that's really important. Um, And I think that you have to continue to have hope, right? And I think you have to find those places where you can understand that, first of all, we're not the first generation that's gone through adversity, right? For us, it's our first global pandemic, may it be our last, thanks to hopefully everyone sitting at that table, making sure this doesn't happen again. But the reality of it is there's always going to be difficult things. And I think, you know, having empathy, having hope, is really important. And so finding every little place that you can draw um, on those things is important. And sometimes, you know, the place you're going to get hope is from, like you said, your five-year-old who amazes you every day, right? I, I find kids to be amazingly resilient and such a great place to find some joy and some hope. So, you know, little kids are a great, if you can surround yourself as, as exhausted as everybody is from homeschooling right now, who's probably listening, right? You know, I do think that kids uh, are innately born with curiosity and hope. And so I think that's, you know, a great place we can look as well. But such an important point. I have really found that my son has been my greatest teacher in this moment. He'll just say things. (laughs) Like I just got my driver's license and like I'm nervous about driving in the dark. And I was like, Sean, you know, we were outside playing. Like we got to go. It's getting dark outside. I don't know how to drive in the dark. He's like, you mean you don't know yet? Believe in yourself. You have to try. And I'm just like, what? Bottle that up because that, I mean, parents don't always have to be the teachers, right? Mm. I mean, I'm sure you have a story like that with him every day. Absolutely. And he's he's helping me like unlearn perfectionism. How is that playing out for you right now in really unlearning perfectionism? <laughs> um well, I think that, you know, anyone who's a parent uh is if you didn't already have great humility, you know, having 
two kids at home trying to do school, trying to do your job every day. Um, I think we've all learned to undo any perfectionism this year, right? Whether by choice or uh, by force, right? As I have a huge sign outside my door right now that says, please, please, please like, <laughs> get your own, get your own snack. Like I got to do a podcast, right? Don't interrupt. So I think we've all been forced to, you know, learn a little bit to roll with things this year. And by the way, you know, the silver lining, which I know, you know, gets exhausting sometimes to try to talk about these silver linings, but I think it's, you know, given everybody some humility this year. Like I love seeing people who I have such tremendous professional respect for, like on a Zoom call with their cat walking across their computer or their kid coming in and interrupting. Like I actually have found that it has actually, ironically, as far apart as we are and having to interact through our screens, in a lot of ways, it's brought us closer to people because you're seeing them in their personal spaces. You're seeing their kids walk through, right? Like you're seeing their dogs knock their computers off their desks, or maybe that only happens to me. But <laughs> there's, there's actually, to your point, like there's something also joyful in recognizing that we've broken a lot of barriers down this year. And as much as ironically, we're like physically further apart than ever. You know, I think those things, to your point, like those are the things that make you realize, gosh, that person who I thought probably was perfect, right? Who is this amazing CEO who runs this amazing company and from the outside looks perfect, to your point. You know, their kid just came in and interrupted them on a really important phone call. That's kind of funny, right? Like, yeah. oh, they're not so different than I they're not so different than I am, right? Totally. It's allowed us to show the mess behind the scenes. I got to interview some amazing people this summer. and One of them was my mentor, Hillary Clinton. And I was laughing because we were doing a Zoom interview and like her grandkids were trying to like get in the door. And she's just like us, right? Being like, get out of here, right? Like, I mean, it's just, it's true. Right. It's true. I mean, I think that helps you, right? Like that helps everyone realize like, oh my gosh, that person that I thought was perfect. Like, what, and by the way, what is perfect? Like, I think we've learned this year that it's perfectly acceptable to do your best. Like, it's perfectly okay for things to not go the way you planned, right? Like, it's kind of perfectly humorous when somebody's cat knocks their computer off. So, you know, what is perfect? I mean, it's kind of like what it's you're aspiring to perfect to happy, like, sometimes the things that make those things up are, you know, a confluence of events. Like it was a perfectly acceptable day today, right? And sometimes you have to reset your bar a little bit, right? And yeah. when we can get out of this, and by the way, I'm ready, I think we're going to all learn some things, right? Perfection is sometimes it's an unattainable thing. And I'm not sure why we all want to be perfect all the time, right? Yeah. I think it's our quirks and our characteristics and everybody else's that kind of makes people lovable sometimes, right? Yep. And much more interesting. Definitely. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh my gosh, this was my pleasure. It's so much fun to get to visit with you. And I can't wait till we can finally meet in person one day. Yes. We love the work you have led and that you're doing. And I just feel like we could sit in a room and talk for hours. So thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. That was Nicole Small, founder of the If Then Initiative and CEO of Lida Hill Philanthropies. If you enjoyed today's show, make sure to subscribe to the Brave Not Perfect podcast. And I would so appreciate if you told a friend about it or shared Brave Not Perfect on social media. That really helps us get the word out. Also, I want to wish everyone happy holidays. I know it's been a really hard year, and I really hope everyone is able to take care of themselves and their loved ones. Stay safe 
and find some moments of joy. Please take care and have a happy holiday. See you soon. Hi, I'm your executive producer, Oliver Ash Klein. Tanya Zaporonik and Charlotte Stone co-produced this episode. And of course, we couldn't make Brave Not Perfect without unwavering support from Deborah Singer and Rush Sajani. <laughs>